0: In today's episode of 2000 Books, media guru and Emmy Award-winning correspondent Bill McGavin, who is a coach to some of the biggest names in business and entertainment, including Kelly Clarkson, Jack Welch, and Kenneth Cole, teaches you how to get your message across and get what you want in business and in life. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. Books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, self-help, and much more. And I'm your host, Manny Vine. Bill McGavin is the founder and CEO of Clarity Media Group and a two-time Emmy Award-winning journalist who has reported over 700 nationally televised stories. Today, we're talking about his awesome book, Pitch Perfect, How to Say It Right, the first time, every time. Bill, I'm really excited to be chatting with you today, and I want to learn from you. So, welcome to the show.
1: Manny, it's good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: I hope I got your name right. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, First of all tell us about your personal story leading up to this book what led you to this whole let's say not just the book but even before this what 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 caused this book to happen
1: I've been uh... A lifelong storyteller, Manny. I mean, I grew up in New York City. I was a small kid at the family dinner table watching Walter Cronkite deliver the CBS Evening News every night. And from a very early age, I knew I wanted to be a TV journalist. So I've always had this desire to tell stories and tell stories in a visual way. And when my career evolved in my mid-20s to actually being in front of the camera as an on-air person, Public presentation then became a really big component of of what I did for a living. So after 20 25 years of being in the media and I like to joke with my friends I've worked for every network but CNN. <laughs> uh you know that's the way it is in TV you bounce around all different networks. Uh after about 20 to 25 years of doing that I realized quite inadvertently that I instinctively knew when people were helping themselves in doing things the right way when it came to answering questions and public speaking and I also was able to diagnose what was wrong when things weren't going well. And as a journalist, you're never able to share that information because you're not there to help the interview subject. You're, you know, you're more like a chess opponent. Uh, but now in this new career that I started about 15 years ago, that's my role. I help people look at their techniques and their mindset about how they speak externally to an audience, no matter what that audience may be. And help them develop good strategies, good habits, how to overcome nerves and fear, how to be very clear, concise, and persuasive in how they communicate
0: that's great yeah and you have been an advisor to some of the biggest names all over the world. Uh, Eli Manning, Clay Clarkson, Jack Welsh, Kenneth Cole. People we think would already be confident in front of the public. People we think would already know how to do this. Is that not the case usually?
1: I think the people that you watch on TED Talks and giving commencement addresses and all these high profile opportunities who are established household names, I think the reason that they're really good public speakers is because they have a healthy respect for the value of preparation and rehearsal. And probably the biggest misconception out there is that there are people who are just born great speakers, naturals. And what I've encountered over the last 15 years is those people are the ones who practice and rehearse obsessively and leave nothing to chance and go out there so well prepared that they can only be confident in knowing exactly how this is going to unfold. There's never any excessive winging it or making it up on the fly. They have a very firm game plan.
0: That is great because a lot of times we get we fall into the trap of thinking that that person just knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. It's easy for them. Not necessarily easy for for us and we're going to somehow...
1: Well, you think about everything in life, whether That's it's true. playing tennis or playing an instrument or acting. The ones who are truly great make it look super easy and you're watching them perform and you're thinking, I can do that. And uh, and the same is true of, of public speaking.
0: Yeah. And the reason is that they have practiced so much. And I guess we're going back to the principles of um, more and more practice and maybe even 10,000 hour rule, which... gets us there, which which is the only way to get there in some ways.
1: You know, Steve Jobs uh, reportedly used to rehearse his big product launches 70 times. And so when he's revered as a great public speaker, yes, he was very good at commanding a crowd, but he knew that thing backwards and forwards.
0: Yes. um, Only recently I was uh, in a conversation with uh, the author of Charisma Myth, and it was the same Mm -hmm. thing we were talking about. Where From compared to 1984 to 2011, speeches of Steve Jobs have changed dramatically, and he's really practiced practiced the craft of of speaking publicly very well, which most Mm -hmm. people assume he's such a good speaker, but that wasn't always the case.
1: No. uh, Even Bill Clinton. The, the biggest applause line Bill Clinton received at the 1988 Democratic Convention where he was the keynote speaker, the biggest applause line he got was when he said, and in conclusion, the thing was so long-winded and rambling and boring that people were actually thankful that he was wrapping it up. <laughs>
0: Well, so let's, let's provide our readers a, a brief overview of the book. How does it flow? What to expect from it?
1: Essentially, all of us have these pitch perfect moments in our daily life where we want to be really effective and persuasive in how we communicate. And it doesn't mean that you are giving a commencement address or giving a keynote speech in front of 2000 people. We all have these high stakes communication situations in our daily lives, whether you find yourself in the elevator alone, standing next to your boss. Uh, How do you say I'm sorry at work or even to a family member when you've messed up, how to give a toast, how to get a great job interview, how to give a presentation, uh, how to run a meeting, or just even how to persuade somebody to take your recommendation on doing something. If you have the right techniques and the right strategies, I find that you have success many, many more times than if you just leave it to chance. And that's really what the book is about, giving you the tools to get the results you want more often in all of these communication situations.
0: Right, Don't leave it to chance. Such an important concept in everything in life. For some reason, we have this feeling that we can leave it out in this area or that area or public speaking, for example, or just talking to people in a perfect moment.
1: They're really designed to help people who have something that they want a certain result from. And interestingly, that the strategies and the concepts that I've worked with people over the past 15 years on translate beautifully into these everyday situations.
0: So what would be the three most important ideas, three most important takeaways from this book for our readers, for starting entrepreneur, someone in that capability, or even someone who's trying to improve their lives and who has Mm -hmm. these pitch perfect moments every once in a
1: while? Sure. I would actually argue that there are four, if you allow me to tack one on, Manny. Please. Okay. Well, the first one is preparation. And that means if you are going into a meeting at work, and according to the agenda, you're not going to have a speaking role of any kind. Somebody else is running it. You should never go into that meeting without thinking through in advance what you would say if somebody wheeled around, pointed at you and said, Manny, what are your thoughts on this? You do not wanna be blindsided and have to start ad-libbing and dancing to try to come up with something intelligent and coherent. Go into every situation with a game plan as to what you would say about the topic of the meeting. I, I'm an obsessive preparer. Even if I'm going to get on the phone with a customer service representative from a company that's shipped me a product and it's wrong or an airline trying to get a, a change of my reservation, I will sit down before the call and say, and write out, okay, here's my first thing I'm going to say. Here's how I'm going to clearly and articulately state the situation. And now let me anticipate what their pushback could be in telling me I can't get what I want. And then what am I going to say after that to try to be persuasive? I try to think of these situations almost like a chess match. And that works really well if you're going in to ask for a raise from your boss or ask for a promotion. You have to anticipate pushback. And how are you going to... Articulate how valuable you are in a persuasive way when you when you meet that resistance, so preparation is one thing also the more prepared you are, the less nervous you're going to be. It's a very basic equation uh and nerves is something that a lot of people battle and I, I think you and I may chat about that a little bit. The second takeaway is brevity
0: before we before we go yep. on to the second one um just the idea of practice and some people just trying to wing it. uh, It's almost never a good idea in a situation of pitch perfect moment or even if you're going to give a presentation. And the first few minutes are absolutely critical, as you're saying. Now, it is hard for someone to actually go about and give or think of all the different permutations and combinations of what will happen in a conversation once it starts because once the conversation starts it just goes it could go in so many different directions right and like you said it's like a chess match so are there some how how do we manage this because it feels like it could be very overwhelming of because of all the different options out there are you saying that usually there are only a few ways that people will respond and it's easier to manage once you know what we're getting
1: into Yes. I think when we prepare people for a media interview, usually we're able to break down the interview into about six to eight topics that are going to come up. Not questions you're going to be asked, but conversational topics that you're going to have to elaborate on. And it's great to be able to always know the what and the why, for starters. What is it you've created? What is it you do for a living? Uh, what is it that you've built? Explain it. Describe it to me. What is it? You should always have a very concise and effective answer for the what. And then think of the why question as motivation. So how would you come up with this idea? Why is this important? Why do I need this? Um, you have to be able to also have something really powerful and persuasive to that question. So think about the what and the why. And then of course, the who. Well, if you've created something, who's going to use this? And who do you see as your main audience? Um, so interestingly, the areas that you need to be prepared for are really the basics, the what, the why, the who. And to be able to speak effectively around what motivates you is very important. That's the question you really don't want to fumble because it makes you sound very wishy washy if you don't have a real home run answer for that,
0: yeah, if we cannot describe our motivation, then it's going to be tough for the other person to even be able to associate with us in a in in an emotional kind of way
1: exactly well we when we are dealing with somebody we we all want to think the other person loves the loves what they do, feels energized by what they do uh feels challenged by what they do and When you talk to somebody at a party and they ask you what you do, it's very easy because you've said it a million times to sound very lackluster about it. But you want to always project this air of enthusiasm for the value of what you bring in every conversation, because that person at a party may tap into that passion you're displaying and think, wow, I should really refer this guy to uh, my friend Diane who runs this company. That would be I think she would like to meet this guy. But if you're very um passive about it and you don't show any excitement at all, that connection may never happen. That's
0: right. Um, and are there some specific... Tips or advice you have for practicing? Like, do we practice out loud? Do we practice in front of the mirror? Or do we write it out? What could be those?
1: Well, your smartphone and your tablet are the best rehearsal tools on the planet. You don't have to do it into the mirror anymore. What I would recommend is you take either device and you prop it up in front of you, maybe against your laptop screen, and you hit record on the video function and roll. Record yourself saying it out loud and play it back. And that will give you a really accurate assessment of how concise you're being, how clean you are in talking. Is there a filler language that creeps into this? Awareness of filler language is the first step in eradicating it. Am I a you know? Am I a like person? Am I a kind of sort of person? Realize what those are because they strip the executive presence out of your presentation if you have a lot of filler. And Another tip for practicing is when you mess up, don't stop and start all over again. You want to develop the ability in rehearsal and practice to push through the bumpy sections of the road. You want to get a sense for what it's like to get your thing back on the rails if you've had a brain lock, or you've stumbled through a section, force yourself in rehearsal to plow forward because that will help you when you are really on stage or in front of a meeting and that happens to you, you'll have some kind of precedent for knowing how to pull yourself out of the death dive. If you've never done it in rehearsal, you're never going to be able to do it when you're communicating for real.
0: Wow. This is some solid advice. I love it. I I never really thought about getting in front of your own computer or smartphone and just recording and
1: recording and recording and figuring out. uh... This is the most effective part of the communication coaching sessions that we do at my company. It's the role play that's on camera and nobody really likes to watch themselves back on video. But it is such an incredibly useful tool. You see if you're playing with your hair, you see if you're fidgeting and stamping around with your feet and all those ticks that make us look less in command.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, just the thought of, as you were describing it, just the thought of um, starting and hitting the record button and starting to record, I was like, oh. Now I'm gonna to have to put my a game on, and I was getting a little scared, so I can yeah. imagine how this uh, g- uh gets really uh, it it really helps.
1: And the other, you know, the other thing, Manny, is you you hear any professional superstar athlete adheres to this notion that you play the way you practice. And and what that means is, you know, Jordan Spieth, who won the U.S. Open yesterday, when he goes on the practice tee, he swings the way he's going to swing out on the course. He doesn't swing 50 percent. He's trying to replicate and cement in his muscle memory how he does it every single time. And so when you're rehearsing and you may be in a small room, you need to deliver that thing big. As if you're in front of 2,000 people because that's what gives you the sense of familiarity when you're out there for real.
0: This is something that, as you said, it's a, it's a practice thing and we have to keep on doing it. And, of course, what you're saying is the perfect practice, not just average practice. You exactly. Know? Okay, great. Um, the next thing you said was
1: going to be brevity. Yes, and I'll keep this short. <laughs> <laughs> um Essentially, the longer you talk, the less pe- people are focused on what you're saying. And there's no feeling worse than someone, than creating the sense in somebody else that you're wasting their time. And it really means thinking through ahead of time and curating exactly what they need to know. It's amazing to me how many people have just too much information in there, too much unimportant, non-vital information in their, in their content strip it down, get it to its bare essence, make your point, illustrate it some way. That, in, And by that, I mean some kind of supporting point, a story, an example, a piece of data, point and illustration. Those are the two components of any idea that you're trying to convey to someone. And when you're done making your point succinctly and backing it up with some kind of illustration, you should be done. You should not be droning on and summarizing what you just said It needs to be very, very strategic.
0: Got it. And this one is pretty self-evident. I think you call it the pasta sauce principle?
1: Yes, because anybody who cooks knows that if you put pasta sauce on a stove on a Sunday and you slowly cook that thing down and reduce the volume by 50%, it's going to be dynamic and flavorful and memorable. But if you pour a quart of water to stretch it, which would be the equivalent of adding two more pages to a speech – is going to be bland, tasteless, and forgettable. So think of your remarks as a reduction in cooking. Less is more powerful.
0: Got it. Uh, and it's like it's one of those things where somehow we have this notion that we want to give more. We want to give more value. We want to give more knowledge. We want to give more help to people. And and we feel that just by expanding on what we're saying, we're gonna end up doing that, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe we're hurting our cause rather than helping the cause.
1: Yeah, you've heard many times people talking about somebody talking themselves out of a sale. You know, you've you've ten minutes ago the client was all ready to sign on the dotted line, but you kept going on and now suddenly they're not sure. We hear that all the time in sales.
0: And I've seen that happen personally where someone has talked themselves out of what I would have mm-hmm. bought. <laughs> so
1: Right, exactly. Too much more is not more
0: cool um what's the next one
1: the, the next one is certainty. I think there's a lot of equivocation in people's communication. Well, this guy was sort of the best one we could find, or you know i'm kind of uh, I'm kind of excited about this we We really water down our certainty and our conviction behind what we're saying, and it's a little bit of a verbal habit and tick that has crept in that people feel. Prevents them from sounding arrogant, but it makes them sound indecisive. This is not sort of the best person you could find. This candidate is the best one that came across our desk. That has a lot more persuasiveness behind it than, yeah, well, he was kind of the best person we could find here. It's very, very different. And making declarative, concise statements is a great way to bring an air of certainty to your ideas, your opinions, your recommendations.
0: Hmm. And as a a speaker, sometimes uh, when you're on the podium, you have self-doubt. You have this, maybe the idea of the imposter syndrome or this feeling that you're not the best, you're not good enough. Maybe this crowd deserves a lot better than what you're trying to deliver. And you were saying we need to be able to deliver concise, definitive statements in order to battle this. Is that right? Or is there something more than that?
1: I think when I see somebody on stage who doesn't know where the period is in the sentence and just keeps going and going, to me, that's a sure sign of insecurity. And usually the most powerful person in the room is saying the least. And it's a hard concept for us to grasp. We feel like we're not doing enough. But if you think your content through ahead of time and you boil that down like the pasta sauce, you will not drone on and talk yourself out of the sale or start boring people and making them feel like this is a waste of their time.
0: Yeah. You said something very profound, which is usually the most powerful person in the room is saying the least. And that is very true
1: in any conversation. People are incredibly uncomfortable with silence. And they jump to fill it, and usually they jump to fill it with nothing terribly good. Weak content that's just sound coming out of their mouth. And the great Gandhi quote is speak when you can only when you can improve upon the silence.
0: <laughs> and usually the the person who feels like they're not in power, they're the one who are filling in the silence to uh, fill in the feeling of discomfort or maybe lack of comfort they have in that situation.
1: Yes, exactly. The next one is empathy. and And that is really great communicators are able to put their finger on the pulse of the person they're talking to, the audience they're speaking in front of. To be able to know what that audience cares about, what they want to hear, what's important to them, and to be able to filter your remarks through what you sense will resonate with them instead of just treating each audience as the same. And when you go to persuade somebody of a viewpoint, go in knowing what they are inclined to say, think, and feel. And be prepared to validate their point of view and say that you understand it, even if you're going to wind up recommending something different. But we all want to be validated. And I find that to be really persuasive, don't push back um, really hard against somebody else's countering point of view. Validate it, say you understand it, but also be able to say in a non-confrontational stiff arm way, Sure, I understand that that could be, um, an important thing to consider. But what if we were to think about it this way and, and make it not so much, I need to get my way over your way.
0: Yes. And, uh, just as you were talking about this, I was thinking about some of the few conversations that happened over the last week where I've been guilty of exactly what you just said, which is pushing and saying, no, this is the way without giving that person feeling that I understood them. And
1: right. It makes them dig their heels in a little deeper. And
0: also resent us in some place. Right. Um, one of the ideas I wanted to talk about as well with you, Bill, was uh, managing the adrenaline, the pace, the eye movement, the fidgety feet. Because those are so critical in the first few seconds, maybe even a minute or two. What do we need to do? What are the indications of nervousness and how do we, how do we go about managing those?
1: Adrenaline is a good thing to a point. Adrenaline is what gives us that energy and that excitement to show that we're invested in our own content. But it, it also betrays us in that it makes everything in your body speed up. And one of, one of the results is you'll probably speak too fast in the first two to three minutes of your presentation when your adrenaline is pumping the hardest. So when you go out, try to start with a nice, moderately controlled pace. Because your body is going to be telling you to do something else. You need to push back against that. Uh, adrenaline also makes us pinball around the room with our eye contact and never really land on one person and convey at least part of a thought or part of a sentence to one individual person. And that, is, that meaningful, sustained eye contact is what creates a sense of connection with the audience instead of just drifting over the tops of people's heads or worse looking down at the tabletop in front of you. And people do that because it's easier for me to concentrate on what I'm trying to say if I look at something abstract, as opposed to looking into someone's eyes. It could be a little disconcerting to look into the eyes of your audience staring back at you. But one tip that can help avoid that is you could look at the stem of somebody's eyeglasses, or look at a woman's earring. To just zone in on something small and inanimate that it brings you very close to eye contact, but nobody will know it's just slightly off. It's better than looking at the ceiling or the floor or out the window as you're talking to a group of people.
0: The eye contact thing is so so scary. Especially when we start mm-hmm. doing it, not just in public speaking setting, but even like in a, in a conversation when you're there uh, with someone that you think is important. Our
1: eye contact almost always gives away what's going on
0: inside of us.
1: Right. Windows to the soul, right? And, and you know, many of us can't wait to break that eye contact. Uh, how many times have you seen somebody get up to a podium and say their name and their title and they're looking down? at the podium they're looking down at their papers and you never need to read your name and your title you know that so that is real testament to the fact that we just cannot wait to get away from that invasiveness of the audience's stare back at us that we would look down at our papers over something we don't need to read
0: so is there is there is there a way to like get good at just looking people in the eye because ultimately, maybe that's where we want to be, to be able to look them in the eye and still be able to deliver what we're trying to say.
1: I think that, uh, for starters, if you, if you look at the bridge of their nose or their earlobe, for starters, just to get you conditioned to not be looking away, that can be a really effective tool. And once you're in that neighborhood, it's not such a big leap to start making real bona fide sustained eye contact. And the other thing that can be helpful is we all have this defeatist attitude. You talked about the fraud syndrome earlier, Manny. And we all have this fear that the other person is not terribly interested in what we have to say or they're judging us harshly. And we do this number on ourselves that's really not merited. I think you go into any conversation with a firm belief that what I have to say is interesting. I think this other person is going to find it valuable. They're going to enjoy it. And not that little voice off your shoulder that might be incorrectly telling you that you're not doing well in this conversation or you're not doing well in this speech. Don't listen to those uh, self-doubts that creep in because they really undermine the rest of your performance.
0: We're going back to the idea of having that conviction and having that emotional energy behind it.
1: Yes. I I often for clients define energy as not how loud you talk or how flamboyantly you move your hands. To me, energy is your palpable enthusiasm for the value of what you have to say. To me, if you can psych yourself up and convince yourself that this audience really is going to benefit from what you have to say, that will generate energy.
0: Yeah, for some reason, we have this uh, uh, belief in society that the louder someone speaks or the faster someone speaks, the more enthused they are about the topic. But what you're saying is emotions are contagious. And if we feel that excitement mm-hmm. inside of us, even if we don't speak loudly or fast, we're still going to be able to convey that.
1: Sure. In fact, Sometimes the most powerful key points and punchlines of a speech are where you pull back and you lower the volume of your voice, but keeping up the intensity behind it. The variance of your vocal level is in itself an attention generator.
0: Wow. Oh. And um, <laughs> the, moving on to the next part, of I think that we talked about vocal pace. We talked about eye movements. Uh, was it fidgety feet was the other thing?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I sometimes call it the stationary march where you're on stage. You're really not moving left to right or forwards and backwards, but your feet haven't stood still and actually planted for a good two minutes. They're shuffling. They're rocking. They're sh- They're shifting back and forth. And that's because adrenaline creates all this pent-up physical energy in our bodies. And we like to expel it if we can. And our feet tend to be the portal or the most convenient portal through which we try to get this energy out of our bodies. So, it But it creates a very fidgety, unconfident uh, appearance in front of people. So to avoid it, if you were to stand with your weight forward on the balls of your feet, your heels are not off the ground. Your feet are still completely there. But feel a little pressure in your toes. Your weight's a little bit forward on the balls of your feet. You will find you can't start rocking and swaying and shuffling. It's going to give you that so- solid, commanding presence in front of a room. Doesn't mean you can't move, but when you move, move with a sense of purpose now from point A to point B. And when you get to point B, nail that stance and keep it at least for a minute. Don't be in a hurry to go back to point A because now it's going to look like you're pacing back and forth.
0: Got it. And as you said, I mean, adrenaline makes it so much harder for us to manage that nervous energy initially. So these tips, uh, managing our pace, managing our eye movement, managing our feet, we're going to make sure that we get this under control and do not come across as nervous and fidgety.
1: Exactly. You know, one one other tip uh, I have in the book is find four people in the audience who are encouraging good listeners, people who are smiling and nodding at you and reinforcing that you're doing well. And if you find one person in each quadrant of the room who represents that kind of good, enthusiastic listener, you could just play to those four people. No one is going to know that you are not engaging in all 100 people in the room. It's going to boost your confidence. This is
0: great. Um, so this has been a lot of fun, Rob. And uh, we've got uh, we've gotten to the point where uh, we have uh, maybe you have some specific action items that you would normally give your best clients. Uh, you would give you would tell us what are the things they could do. So Bill, tell us tell us maybe the three specific
1: action items you have. If you have a presentation to give or a speech to give coming up. Don't sit down at your computer and write it like you would a written document. What I would prefer you do is on oversized index cards, make yourself an outline. Write out the very first line you're going to say. Never leave that the chance. You want to have a very specific starting point. And then make yourself an outline. Here is theme A and here are the three points I'm going to cover on theme A. Then theme B, and here are the three bullets underneath that. And then at the bottom, here's my conclusion. Here's my closing statement. The beginning and the end, you should know cold. A lot of people just gradually fall off the cliff at the end of their presentation as if they just ran out of gas and came to a coasting stop. Now, make that, put that down on large index cards and roll video on your tablet or your smartphone. And get up and just say it. Do not overwrite it. Just make yourself the leanest of bullet points and get up and say how it would come to you naturally in conversation. And then take the recording that you've made on your tablet or your smartphone and either you or get somebody to do it for you, transcribe what you said. And now make that the basis of your full written remarks if you are going to go off full written remarks. And what you'll find you come away with is a much more natural conversational real type of delivery and content that is written for the ear as opposed to what you would have done sitting on a computer, which is writing for the eye. And people who write for the eye tend to lose engagement with an audience because we don't listen the same way we read.
0: Wow, this makes so much sense because we've are we been trained over the years again and again to write what we're going to speak.
1: Exactly. If you were standing up just saying, you would never have any of these stilted devices where you would say, so hence or in conclusion or secondly, we don't say those things in real life. So we shouldn't be saying them in presentations. Perfect. This is beautiful. Um, the, and One other takeaway, Manny, is most people, when they get up to give some sort of presentation, is they spend too much time talking about what they're going to talk about. And they often start the way 99% of all other people begin a presentation by saying, um, so I'm Bill McGowan. I'm the author of Pitch Perfect. I'd like to spend a little time today talking about how we become better public speakers is so overdone and overused to talk about what you're going to talk about or saying, so to illustrate that point now, I'd like to tell a little story. I'd like people to get away from all this signposting and warning the audience what they're about to do. Just do it. Just go into it. Uh, there's a, there's a, an excessive formality that creeps into these presentations. That's what makes it feel stilted and artificial. Keep it real, keep it like you're talking to one person over a cocktail at the end of the day. That's the tone of voice you should be replicating when you speak even in front of a thousand people.
0: What what you're telling us is almost like, how would a powerful person who is just delivering this idea to you one-on-one talk to you about it? In some ways, they would not want to repeat it. They would not want to preface it in some ways, but they'll deliver it
1: with conviction. Right. And then the last takeaway is play to win, don't play not to lose. And playing not to lose is obsessively trying to get through what you have to say with your definition of success being not making a mistake, not having a stumble or a stutter That is not your definition of success because if that is, you will deliver this so wooden and flat because you're completely focused on the elimination of the bad. I want you to play to win and realize it's no big deal if I have a little stumble here and there. I'm going to put my back into this and I'm going to deliver it as if this is the most important thing that is going to be said today. And if you make that your definition of success, it makes you less worried about making a mistake. And it also allows you to have more conviction and persuasiveness behind your content.
0: This is so much great advice, Bill. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for your time and the energy. My pleasure, penny It was really fun talking yes, to you. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm sure our... F-
1: and I take, I take it you enjoyed the book. Oh, of
0: course. The book is amazing. I recommend all our listeners, our readers who are, who are anywhere close to... Any kind of communication in their daily lives need to get hold of this because there's a lot of very key mindset and tactical and strategic areas that we need to deal with in our conversations. And we talked a lot about it today, but there's so much more. So
1: I I jokingly say to friends who ask me, who's the book for? I say, really, anybody who talks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it is. It is.
1: That, that broadens the audience. Yeah.
0: And uh, how, how can our listeners get, uh, get more from you, Bill? Where can they go? And what kind of services do you have?
1: Well, I'm very active on social media. I am on Twitter at Bill McGowan. It's M-C-G-O-W-A-N. Bill McGowan 22 is my... Um, handle at Twitter. and I'm also a regular blogger on LinkedIn. Um, I like to post there once a week. and um, and also, uh, the name of my company is Clarity Media Group. We're based in New York, but we have offices in California and Singapore. and um, and I love to stay in touch with people via social media. It's a great way to do that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Bill.
0: Wow, this was one of those highly actionable interviews. But do you remember the four key ideas we talked about in the interview? Um, Do you remember the exact steps to manage adrenaline in, in a difficult situation? Do you remember exactly how to prepare for your speech or for your important conversation or pitch? If not... I highly recommend you should download the interview summary and action guide we have prepared for you because we have put all this information in an easy-to-follow guide just for you. So having the guide will make sure that the 30 minutes you invested in listening to this podcast, this interview, were really put to good use. Now, you can get the summary and action guide for free at 2000books.com slash summary or you can text the word summary, S-U-M-M-A-R-Y to 44222. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, go out and live a courageous life.